Well, it's good to see everybody today. Over the past few months, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a very practical, very helpful book. It's a very encouraging book. Some people read it, a, 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 you know, just a chapter at a time and, and kind of make it a devotional book all throughout the course of a month. Uh, some of us come back to the book of Proverbs quite regularly. We've been working our way through it, and we're across the halfway point at this point. In fact, today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 16. And as we look at Proverbs chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 9. So we're looking at the first section of Proverbs 16 today, and today we're going to be talking about this idea of plans. And specifically, we're going to be talking about this idea of making plans that align with God's greater purposes. So I want us to be thinking about this, because at any season of your life, you're probably a plan maker. I'm a plan maker. But we want to make plans that align with God's greater purposes. And when you look at the Scripture that we're about to read together, in this portion of Scripture, it really gives us great counsel on how those plans are to be made. So follow along with me. We're in Proverbs chapter 16, and we're going to start with verse 1. This is what it says. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to start off our week worshiping you and looking at your word together. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture that gives us a variety of details of what it looks like to utilize plans that bring you glory, utilizing plans that align with your greater purposes. We pray that we would learn to do just that. We pray that as we make decisions, as we, as we kind of craft an outlook for a particular season of life, we pray that we would do so with minds and hearts that are attuned to your will. And we're thankful for this portion of your word that sets us in that direction. We pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to it and that you would ultimately, Lord, teach us more about yourself, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a a couple months ago, something happened to me that I couldn't foresee. It wasn't something that I was necessarily planning to deal with or, or have happen. And in fact, there's video evidence of this. So maybe some of you have already even seen the video of this because it was actually posted online exactly two months ago. But a couple months ago, I was at a three-day training event in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, it was a beautiful time. We had a wonderful event. I was there with a group of, of authors and podcasters and business leaders, and we were all talking about different things related to the, to the things that we were working on. We were all trying to make investments in one another's ministries and businesses, and, and it was a very encouraging time. We were having a, a great time together, and as the event was coming to a close, this is the very last evening, it was all finishing up. I walked over to the parking garage where I'd been parking my car every day during this event. I'd been parking my car there every day, no problem, no issues. But this last day, 
I went over to the parking garage and discovered that the garage was closed. The gates were down, everything was locked up, and my car was inside. In fact, it was on the main level, and I could see it. It was right up the ramp. It was right there. I could see it, but I couldn't get to it. The gates were all down. And there I was just kind of staring at it and wondering, what am I going to do? And in fact, they, had, they locked the garage an hour earlier than they posted. So it wasn't supposed to be locked for another hour, but it was locked and my car was stuck behind the gates. And I thought, all right, this is going to be interesting. So several other people from the event were right there with me when I noticed that my car was locked behind the gates. But I was in such a good mood because I just had three very fun days right in a row, very edified. My tank was very full that, um, you know, even as I discovered this, I found the problem more comical than upsetting. And in fact, I even jokingly said to one of my friends as we were trying to assess the situation, I I, I said to her, I said, hmm, I wonder what happens next. (laughs) Because as I was looking at this, it seemed clear to me that the discovery of my car locked up in this parking garage behind this gate was going to result in a story that I would probably tell for some time. And in fact, I I think it turned into something I'll probably tell for the rest of my life. But the friends I was with, they asked me, all right, what are you going to do? What's your plan? And I thought about it for a minute. And then I outlined my plan for them. I suggested the things, all right, here's the things that I think I'm going to do. So the the first part of my plan was this. There was just enough room underneath that gate that I thought I might be able to slide under. Now, I wasn't sure because I had had a lot of Thai food that afternoon, and I was probably a little bit bigger than what I started that day at. But I thought, all right, I think I can slide underneath the gate for starters. That was the initial part of my plan. It's funny, you never think when you wake up at the start of your day that you're going to be on the ground in a parking garage trying to slide under a gate. That's what was going through my mind as I was doing that. I thought, I did not wake up today thinking that this would be something I would be doing. I didn't expect to be on the ground anywhere, right? But there, so that was the first thought. I was going to slide under the gate, get into the parking garage, and then I thought, okay, then what I'll do is I'll take my car and I'll drive up to where the bar raises and lowers. I'll pay the toll, and I thought that where the bar raised inside the parking garage, I thought maybe when I paid the toll that it would somehow trigger the gates to then lift up, and then I'd be able to drive my car out. That was my initial part of the plan. And so I went in, I got my car, I drove it to the, to the toll area, the bar raised, and I looked and I was waiting. I thought, for sure, the gates are going to open, and nothing happened. The gates stayed closed. So I brought my car on the other side of the bar there, and I was now scratching my head. But the next part of my plan was this. I thought, okay, there, there's more than one level of this garage that connects to the outside. So the level that I was on that connected to the road on that side was higher than the level on the other side of the building that exited on the other side of the block. And I thought, all right, well, I'll drive down to that lower level and see if there's another exit that I could get out on that side, because surely they're not going to just leave my car locked up in this, right? They had to have a plan. People that live here locally must know the system. I guess I just don't know the system. And so I drove my car to that lower level and discovered there was another exit there, except that one was locked too. So the gates were down there as well. So then I drove back and came back to the original gates that I was at, and my friends were all hanging out outside waiting to see what was going to happen. And I got out of my car, and I just put my hands in the air, and I I think I said something to the effect of, well, I think I just live here now. (laughs) I think this is my home now, right? This is my home. I think I just live here now. But for several interesting minutes, 
the group of us, we just kind of put our, our brains together. We started brainstorming and thinking about what we might be able to do to see if maybe as a group we could try and figure out a way that I could get this car out of the building. And so we had a few amended ideas here. And one of the things that one of the guys suggested, we noticed that there were some, some chains attached to the gates that came down. And, and the suggestion was given to me, all right, what if you like pull those chains off? I think that disconnects the gates and then maybe you can raise them like a window shade. And I thought, that's it. And so I disconnected them, and I started raising them like a window shade, but the gates didn't move. The chain moved, but the gates didn't do anything. And so I went over to the gates again, and I thought, maybe, did it disconnect something? Can I just, like, lift it up now? Nothing. The gates didn't budge. They didn't move. And I'm thinking, all right, like, what's next? And I kept walking back and forth, thinking, like, maybe an idea is going to pop into my head, right? And it didn't exactly work out that way. But another friend that was in the group said, hey, over on the wall over there, aren't those buttons? Like, what do those buttons do? And I, now, I hadn't seen them. None of us had seen them, but these caught her eye, and there was like a series of things, uh, like buttons on the one wall, and I thought, what else would they be for, right? That maybe they do something. And so I went over to them, and I'm looking at them, and they weren't labeled super well, but one of them seemed to indicate to me, I forget what it said. It didn't say open, all right? It wasn't that obvious, but it looked to me like I should try it. You know, so it either it self-destructs this garage or, or something maybe better happens. And I said, all right, here we go. And I pressed it, and I was hoping for the best. And it didn't open the exit, but it opened the entrance. And I saw the gate go up, and I, I threw my hands in the air, and I thought, I'm free. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. I just had to then kind of work my car out through the entrance, and so it kind of had to zigzag back and forth. But I was able to get out, you know, I was free, and I even, I actually went back in after I got my car out, pressed the button one more time, and then ran back out under the gate, because I thought, I don't want to just leave this up. I've already probably committed a crime by breaking in here, at least. The least I can do is leave no evidence of the crime, right? So I, I shut the gate. I don't know if I still have a job, all right? You know, I don't know if I'm still your pastor or not. I will finish this sermon out. The elders can tell me afterward if I still work here. Um, but I'm just confessing to you that that's what I did. Now, in a situation like that, or anything, and you've probably found yourself in interesting circumstances like that from time to time, but in a situation like that, admittedly, it was helpful to have a plan. But it was also practical to adapt the plan when my initial approach wasn't working. And I think it was also very helpful. In fact, it was critical to have the good counsel I had from my friends because without their help, it's entirely possible my car would still be there, you know, two months later. But in general, I'm a planner, and maybe some of you are as well. I, I like to make plans, and I actually think making plans are a good thing. I think it's good to make plans, but when we're making plans as believers in Jesus Christ, there's actually a few things that we need to be careful about. For us as believers in Jesus, we need to make sure that our plans are not born out of selfish motives or worldly priorities. So when you're making plans, when you're making decisions, when you're trying to project ahead a little bit, we need to make sure that our plans are not built out of selfish ambition or worldly priorities. And when we develop a plan in life, we want to make sure that it's a plan that aligns with God's greater 
purposes, because he's got a greater purpose, and he's bringing things to fruition that align with his greater purpose. So we want to align our plan with the plan of God, and that's exactly what Solomon's trying to explain to us when we look at Proverbs chapter 16. And we just read the first nine verses. I'll refer back to them as we work our way through this today. But the question is basically, the question we're asking today is the idea of, you know, what does it look like to operate with a plan that aligns with God's will? What does it look like to operate with a plan that aligns with God's will? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. I hope you'll find them helpful. They come right from this portion of Scripture. But one of the first things that I think that we need to do is this. We need to commit what we do to the Lord's glory. We need to commit what we do to the Lord's glory. Let me reread verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. It says, "...the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord." And then Solomon says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. And in verse 3, he says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let's pause there for just a moment. So more times than I can count, I have listened to people outline plans that they have in store for the next season of life. I was actually talking to a relative of mine not that long ago, and he was telling me about some of the plans that he has coming up in the next few years, and then the few years that come after that. And he was telling me these things. I thought it was very interesting. And many times during the course of my life, I have shared my short-term and my long-term plans with, with other people. Every Friday night, my wife and I, we go out to eat. And one of the things we talk about is our daydream for, all right, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do here? What's it going to look like when this happens? What does it look like when this happens? And we're we're planning and we're thinking about things and we're projecting ideas. And we like to talk about the things that we're going to do. And we like to talk about the the places we think we're going to go and the open doors that we hope to be able to walk through. And occasionally, and maybe you've noticed this too, occasionally our plans work out just like we expected. Occasionally. But more often than not, our plans get amended, sometimes drastically. Great example, anyone thought that this year would look anything like it looks this year? I'll also tell you that Southwest Airlines has $1,000 of mine that I gave them at the start of this year because I thought I was taking my son to Colorado, and then the world shut down, and they don't give you refunds on your tickets, so it's like, cool, so I don't know, I've got 1000 bucks sitting in an account with Southwest, I got to use it by June, who wants to do something fun? Let me know. My plans got changed, right? I still remember a conversation I had with a friend several years ago. He was telling me about the five-year plan that he had developed. He had it all outlined. It was all on paper. Everything looked pristine. Everything looked good. But then after writing it all out, and he was telling me all about it, he was so intent, he was so proud of this five-year plan. After writing it all out, his wife shared some unexpected news with him that the Lord was blessing them with a surprise son. (laughs) So they didn't know they were about to have another child. But the Lord said, guess what? You're going to have to amend that five-year plan. you got a little boy coming to your home. Well, when you look at this portion of Scripture here, Solomon tells us that humanity likes to make plans. We like to make plans. We do it all the time, right? We have all sorts of things charted out. We have all sorts of things thought through. We've got all sorts of expectations for the coming months and for the coming years. But the real answer for what's coming up doesn't really rest with us. It rests with the sovereign hand of God, the providential hand of God. He orchestrates what he knows will be best for his children. And he also, and it shows it to us here in these opening verses, he also tests the motives of our hearts. 
He's testing our motives as we're making these plans and trying to, carrying the, trying to, to carry these plans out. And for our benefit, and I'm so grateful that the Lord does this, that He cares about us enough to do this, but for our benefit, He allows some of our plans to come to fruition. But when He knows that it would be better if those plans didn't come to fruition, He also put the brakes. He'll put the brakes on, on many of them, and He's certainly done that in my life. I'm certain He's done it in your life. And so Solomon here... He encourages us to make plans with a particular goal in mind. In fact, when you look at Proverbs 16, verse 3, Solomon said this. Look at it again with me. He says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I'll read it again. He says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What do you think Solomon's trying to convey there? What's he trying to communicate? What's the heart of that statement or that admonition? Again, Solomon, I think, is telling us here that we need to commit what we do to the Lord's glory. The work you do, the plans you make, the things that we invest ourselves in, we need to commit ourselves and commit these things to the Lord's glory. And in essence here, when he's talking about this idea of committing your work to the Lord, he's, he's teaching us to submit our work, to submit our plans to the Lord. That's the essence of what Solomon's trying to convey here, the idea that we would not be the one that's calling the ultimate shots in our life, that we would submit our plans over to the Lord. And we're, in fact, invited to trust the Lord's guidance. We're invited to trust the Lord's direction. And as we do so, He'll enable our plans to succeed, provided that they're in line with His will. Now, when you look at what Solomon says here, this idea of committing your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, this idea of submitting our work to the Lord, submitting our plans to the Lord... This is instruction that actually reminds me quite a bit of the words that Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to bring this up on the screen for us here because I want to point this out to us. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, in that time of prayers, Jesus, who is God the Son, was communicating with God the Father. Jesus said this, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. It's a fascinating conversation for us to have the opportunity to observe. There are all sorts of things that that during the course of His earthly ministry that Jesus prayed to the Father, but most of them are not recorded in Scripture because this wasn't just a momentary occurrence during the course of His earthly ministry. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're one, but yet they're three in one. And so you have Jesus during the course of His earthly ministry making it abundantly clear that He was operating as the Spirit empowered Him, and the will that He was seeking to enact, He was submitting His will to the Father's will. And He makes the statement, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I think it's interesting that among all the prayers that Jesus would have prayed during the course of His earthly ministry, only a few of them are recorded, but that's one of them. Why do you suppose that one was written down for us to observe? Why do you suppose that one, the details of what he specifically prayed, were given to you and to me? There's something we're supposed to learn from that. In fact, that's supposed to be the attitude of our mind and our hearts, that we would look at the Lord and that we we would say, all right, I've got plans, I've got a will, I've got intentions, I've got goals, I've got ambitions, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I can only see right now. I don't know what the domino effect of decisions I'm going to make will really be. But you know, Lord, so nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. You see the whole picture. I only see a part. 
Your will be done. We're called to apply the same attitude Christ applied in that moment of prayer to the plans that we're making. The plans you're making, the plans I'm making, that's to be our attitude. We're called to commit our plans to the Lord's glory. We're supposed to submit our will to the Lord's guidance and the Lord's will. And you have Solomon demonstrating that here in the opening verses of of, uh, Proverbs 16, but you also have Jesus highlighting that same mindset, that same attitude in his prayer in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Well, there's something else that Solomon brings up in Proverbs 16 that I want to show us here. When you look at verses 4 through 6, he gives us a picture that I think we can, we can apply in a very important and useful way to our day-to-day lives, and it's this picture of turning away from evil. And for us as believers in Jesus Christ, as we turn away from evil, what we're called to do is then turn toward Jesus. We turn away from evil, and we turn toward Jesus. How does that concept apply to making plans in life? What does that look like? How does that actually apply? Well, look at what Solomon says here in verses 4, 5, and 6. He phrases it this way. He says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Let's pause there for a moment. The other day I was watching the news, and one of the things that I saw on the news, uh, they were broadcasting a security tape of a crime being committed. And uh, as I was watching that, I realized that the people that were in the video, that were in this security tape, they were not aware that they were being recorded. At least I don't think they were. And they certainly didn't expect the recording to then be broadcast to the media. And so as I was watching this recording, I felt some conflicting emotions. On one hand, I was glad that their crime was being caught and then would hopefully be dealt with and then prevented if other people had the idea to commit the same crime in the future. But then the other part of my heart was filled with compassion. I felt bad for them because as I was looking at this, I thought, you know, it's very likely that these people, not only are their reputations damaged, maybe irreparably from a human standpoint, but it's very likely that they may be about to spend the next several years of their life behind bars. They may be headed to prison right now. And I felt a sense of justice and compassion competing with each other in that moment. But the, the other part of, of what stood out to me was that somehow this group of people had been convinced to do something that wasn't right. They had been convinced to spend a portion of their life embracing something that was evil. And now they were about to, to pay a steep price for that decision. Well, I bring that up because as followers of Jesus Christ, that is not the direction our lives should be taken. It's not the direction your life or my life should go. And Scripture speaks in a challenging way to us about that concept. And it uses the word to address, it uses the word repentance. Now, typically when the word repentance is used, we don't really appreciate its beauty. Sometimes we think of the word repentance in, uh, along the lines of, of kind of a scary thing. You almost envision somebody yelling at you to repent. But repentance is actually a beautiful word, even though it's treated like a scary concept. And what Scripture teaches us is that through Jesus Christ, we're invited to repent of our sin. And that's a good thing. And what that means is, is if we're repenting of sin, we're turning from something to something. So we're turning from evil to Jesus. That's the essence of biblical repentance. We're turning from evil that we once embraced 
to Jesus whom we're supposed to embrace. That's his calling on our lives, and that's precisely what he's empowering us to do on a daily basis. In fact, I've heard some authors say it this way, that the essence of the Christian life is, is one of faith and repentance. We trust the Lord, we walk with Him daily, and then we embrace the fact that we need to repent daily, that we need to come before Him and say, all right, Lord, I'm turning away from evil. There's a part of my heart that wants to embrace evil, but I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to turn toward you. In my plans, in my intentions, I'm going to turn from evil, and I'm going to turn toward you. And again, that's the mindset that we should embrace as we try to make different plans. It's the mindset we should embrace as we assess the overall direction that we're attempting to bring into our lives. And you have Solomon here teaching us in this passage that that that's a good thing to do, that we want to turn from evil, but there's something that frequently gets in the way of people actually doing that. In fact, he teaches us here that if we have arrogant hearts, we have arrogant hearts, we'll actually, instead of turning from evil, we'll actually invite evil into our lives. And he says, if you do that, you can expect punishment. If you have an arrogant heart, you're going to end up embracing evil. And if you embrace evil, you, you, should, you should expect some level of punishment. Because as he, as he stresses here, arrogance is an abomination to the Lord. Why does arrogance bother the Lord so much? There's people in your day-to-day life that you probably think are arrogant. Do you ever see a celebrity on TV that just rubs you the wrong way, that you're like, ah, I don't like that person. It's like, why don't you like them? They're just too arrogant. Or, you know, on on Sunday afternoons, I watch football, and my favorite players are players that demonstrate humility, and my least favorite players are the people that just seem so arrogant to me. It's so off-putting to us, even as human beings, as as we observe different people. We think, okay, if somebody displays arrogance, it rubs us the wrong way. Well, the Lord tells us here that arrogance is an abomination to Him. Why does it bother Him so much? Why does it bother us so much? But ultimately, the question is, why does it bother Him as much as it does? Well, basically, if we are embracing arrogance, we, in effect, are acting as if we are a greater authority than the Lord Himself. We're acting as if we have greater strength and greater wisdom and greater power, and greater authority than he does. And basically what an arrogant heart does is this. It elevates its own plan above the plan of the Lord. And then in doing that, for us living in this era, what we're doing is effectively saying, right, if I'm going to arrogantly elevate my plan above your plan, Lord, then I'm also going to do something else. I'm going to fail to humbly welcome the presence, the life-giving presence of your son, Jesus Christ, into my life. We're supposed to humbly welcome the presence of Christ into our life, but if we're consumed with arrogance, if we're elevating our plan above the Lord's plan, we will never humbly welcome Jesus into our life. We'll reject him. We'll always try and keep him at at arm's length because we'll be afraid of what he might tell us to do or what he might influence us to, to decide. We won't want Him calling the shots in our life. We don't want to submit to Him if if we're going to be filled with arrogance. We want to elevate our own plan above His. And there are many people that go through their entire lives living that way. They just embrace arrogance with both arms. And they reject the sovereign plan of God. They reject the providence of God. They never come to a spot where they humbly welcome Jesus into their life. They keep Him as a curiosity. They keep Him at a distance. They're not really interested in the fact that He offers them life beyond this moment. They just want to think about this moment. But what happens when this moment's done? This moment doesn't last forever. No moment you're in lasts forever. Embrace Christ with some humility and accept His life-giving presence into your life. Welcome Him, because arrogance 
is an abomination to the Lord, the Scripture tells us. But those who fear the Lord, and again, this concept of fearing the Lord, revering, respecting, submitting yourself to the Lord, that comes up here again. It keeps coming up all throughout Proverbs, this idea of the fear of the Lord. But those who fear the Lord, the Scripture reveals to us, will not embrace arrogance. You fear the Lord, you're not going to embrace arrogance. What you'll do is you'll turn from evil, and in our context, as we're turning from evil, we're turning to Jesus. We're turning from evil, we're turning from the evil of arrogance, and we're turning toward Christ. In Proverbs 16.6, Solomon says it like this. He says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I love that line, by steadfast love and and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Well, Jesus is the perfection of steadfast love. Jesus is the perfection of faithfulness. And in His faithful love, He atoned for our wickedness at the cross. And since our our wickedness has been atoned for by Jesus, why should we embrace, why should we return to the very thing that He paid such a great price to liberate us from? He's liberated you from your old arrogance. You don't have to go back to it any longer. An arrogant person basically just goes about life thinking that they've got it all figured out and then finding out very abruptly at the end, you were wrong. You didn't have it figured out. You thought you did and you didn't. But here the Scripture reminds us that, that ultimately the Lord invites us to revere Him and respect Him. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And as we turn away from evil, we turn toward Jesus. And by the grace Christ supplies, we also have the opportunity to make sure that the plans that we're crafting are plans that turn away from evil and turn toward Jesus. It's His desire for us. It's His goal for us. It's His ultimate ambition for your life. And there's one other thing that Solomon points out here in this portion of Scripture that I want to highlight for us today, and there's something in here. I don't know what's going to stay in your mind. Every time I preach a message, I never know what actually stays in people's minds afterward. But there's something in here I want to point out to you that I truly hope stays in your mind. If it's not already there, I hope it gets in your head and it stays there for the rest of your life, because I think it's immeasurably encouraging and extremely helpful to to rest our minds on. I'll show you what it is in just a moment. But the scripture here, the the last section we're going to look at, teaches us to submit our plans to the Lord's greater plan. So what does it mean to submit our plans to the Lord's greater plan? Well, look at what it says in verses 7, 8, and 9 of Proverbs 16. It says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now think about those verses for just a moment here, along with this concept here of submitting our plans to the Lord's greater plan. But it's interesting when you look at verse 7 in particular, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord. So think about that statement for just a second. When a man's ways please the Lord. Have you ever noticed how it seems hardwired into humanity to desire the approval of our parents? You ever notice that? It's hardwired. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm a grown man, and I still have one living parent. And I was talking to my dad the other day, and I have to admit, he, he gave me his approval with something, and it mattered to me. It mattered to me. I mentioned something to him that, that I had done, and he was like, wait, you did that? And I said, yeah. And he, he kept going. I mentioned it for just a moment. And he kept going on and on and on. And I felt like I had just learned to ride a bike. I was like, oh, good, dad's pleased. 
And he kept talking about it, and I was like, wow, like you're laying it on thick, Dad. But I have to tell you, I didn't, I didn't tell him to stop, you know. I was, I was pleased. Like it, it, felt, it felt good to know that I had his approval with something that most people would think was kind of minor. But to my dad, it mattered. I have to tell you, as a parent, one of the things that I've noticed all throughout the lives of my children is that the approval of their father and their mother, it actually matters to them. That's something that's hardwired into us. I don't even think it goes away. I think it stays And you see that desire in the hearts of man at every stage of life. And I'm actually convinced that that's part of how we're designed. That's how you were designed. That's how I was designed. And I think the greatest form of approval that we've been fashioned to seek is the approval of our Heavenly Father. You and I have been fashioned to seek His approval. And again, when you look at Proverbs 16, verse 7 that we just read together, you have Solomon speaking about a man's ways pleasing the Lord. And he tells us that when a man's ways please the Lord, the Lord will even cause the man's enemies to be at peace with him. So isn't that fascinating to think that the Lord would go before us in such a way that He would bring peace between us and those that might try to set themselves against us. They won't even succeed when they try to set themselves against you. Because ultimately, your ways are pleasing to the Lord. If you're honoring the Lord and submitting your will over to Him, if your ways are pleasing to Him, He'll even cause your enemies to be at peace with you. And then when you look at verse 9 of Proverbs 16, we're told there that the Lord will establish the steps of a person who submits their plans over to Him. Now again, these are very encouraging just aspects of our relationship with God that I find helpful when they're illustrated in His Word. That if we, that the Lord will establish the steps of those who submit their plans over to Him. It's helpful to know, but here's a thing that I hope will really stick in your mind. And again, this correlates with verse 7. I'll read verse 7 again, but it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Well, one of the things, one of the aspects of the gospel that amazes me most It continues to amaze me day after day is the fact that in Christ, God the Father is pleased with us. Think about that concept for just a second. The fact that in Christ, God is pleased with you. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you can rest assured that the Father is pleased with you. Well, how do I know that? Well, if if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, Christ lives within you. If you've trusted in Christ, you are now united to Christ. You're part of His bride. You are united to Him. And from that point, whenever God the Father looks at us, He sees His Son. And with His Son, He is pleased. So think about that concept of the gospel. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to Him. He lives within you. And as the Father sees the Son and is pleased with the Son, so too is He pleased with you. Do you ever let yourself think about that? You know, is that an aspect of the gospel that amazes you, the fact that that God the Father would look at you and be pleased with you? In fact, when you look at Ephesians 1, it actually tells us there that He sees you as holy and blameless, that you are holy and blameless in His sight. I have to tell you, when I look at my own life, I am not always pleased. (laughs) I am not always pleased. I would love to tell you that I'm pleased with everything I see in me, and that is not the case. And I have to tell you... There are plenty of people that I've met over the course of my years that would look at me and say, yeah, I'm also not pleased with you, John. And I'd be like, yeah, no kidding, I'm not even pleased with me, right? 
So I'm not even pleased with me, and many of the people that I've met throughout the course of my life, they're not pleased with me, but then I'm amazed to think about the fact that, that Scripture tells us and illustrates for us that God is pleased with me. I'm like, how are you pleased with me, Lord, when I'm not even pleased with me and with people in my life are not pleased with me? How does this work? Well, think about this. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the Father says this about the Son. And in Matthew 3, 17, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, the Father directed these words to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But can you envision the fact that as you are united with Christ, that those same words are applied to you? Is that not the heart of the gospel? That words like that get applied to you. That the, that the Father looks at you and He sees the righteousness of Christ, that He declares you righteous in His court. And as He is pleased with His Son, so too is He pleased with you if you are united with His Son. It's a fascinating concept, and I think it's a helpful concept to think that the Lord would look at us that way, that He would look at you and He'd be pleased with you. What a blessing that is. In the midst of a world of critics and analysts and even our own just self-judgment and and, and the, the ways that we beat ourselves up, the fact that the Lord would look at you and say, I'm well pleased, I'm well pleased because He sees His Son in you. Let me say this as we finish up. It's more of a question than a statement. But do you have a plan for your life? You probably do, at least to some degree. Do you have a plan? The follow-up to that is this. Have you submitted that plan over to the Lord, or is it just your own ideas? Have you submitted it over to Him? Have you committed your ways to the Lord? Can you confidently say, that your plan is one that gives Him glory, that it's one that would please Him. When we make plans, we need to make sure that those plans align with God's greater purposes. A plan that aligns with His purposes is a plan that pleases Him. A plan that aligns with His purposes is blessed by Him, as He illustrates here in Proverbs 16. And a plan that aligns with His purposes brings Him glory. And that's the chief reason you and I were created. We weren't created for our own glory. We were created to give Him glory through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and meditate on its content and think about the ways that You apply this to our day-to-day lives and show us actually what it means to walk with You and to live with You. Lord, we recognize that when we, when we look at our own lives, we can see a lot of deficits, we see a lot of problems, we don't always see ourselves from your perspective. But your perspective is so helpful. And it's amazing, Lord, for, for me to think about the fact that, that as you look at your Son, that you look at us because you see us united with your Son. So we trust in your Son, that union is secure. And we are holy and blameless in your eyes. We're made righteous in your sight. Lord, it's all fascinating, and we know we don't deserve it. It's not, it's not as if we've planned it and deserved it. You planned it, and we have the opportunity to, to step into your plan. So we're grateful that your plan is good. And we pray, Lord, that that would be the mindset that we have all throughout the course of our lives, 
that it's not about the things that we plan. It's not about the things that we decide. It's, it's ultimately all about us just taking that step into your plan, that we're aligning the, the values of our heart with the mission that, you've, that, you're, that you're orchestrating, that you're demonstrating in your word. So, Lord, help us, please, with those things. We know, Lord, that we're ambitious people. We think about all sorts of things. We've got all sorts of daydreams running through our mind and ambitions about what we're going to do today and what we're going to do this week and what we're going to do in this coming year. And the truth is, maybe those things will happen and maybe they won't. So we want to be thinking about this from a a, a more broad perspective. We want to be thinking about your greater purposes, not this momentary thing that we get our, our minds all stuck in. We can only see this moment in time, but you can see everything that's happened and everything that is to come. And you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. So, Lord, we're grateful for the fact that we can trust you to do that. But we pray, Lord, that we would not be so arrogant as to make plans that that really have nothing to do with your will. We pray that as we make plans, that we would be asking you, Lord, to guide and direct us and that we would submit our goals, that we would submit our intentions, that we would submit every decision we make over to the counsel of your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us and we would listen with submissive and respectful hearts because we trust you and love you knowing that you loved us first. So thank you, Lord, for these reminders from your word today. And thank you for your presence with us now. We commit ourselves to you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.